After the Floods with Sine Riley, documenting the Northern River's flood recovery and looking for future solutions for life on the floodplain. Today I'll be continuing where I left off with the first episode of the podcast. I'll be talking about the next stage of our flood survival. What happened when we left the bridge on the 1st of March 2022? So once we got in the boat and across the river and to the school, that's when I really realised the enormity of what we'd been through. As we pulled up on the grass there at the school, we got the dog out of the boat and made our way up to the main quad area and the auditorium. We saw the faces of every single neighbour that we have, every community member in Woodburn, all of my friends that I went to school with, their parents, grandparents, shop owners, everyone that I knew was there. Everyone from town was in that school and we were all displaced. Our entire town was seemingly wiped out in one night. When we first got to the school, my first priority was finding my mum and my sister. I found my sister pretty quickly. And as soon as I saw her, I just fell to pieces. We'd been in contact throughout the night while we were on the bridge and they were at the school. And I was trying to keep in touch with them keep them connected to us and make sure that they knew that we were okay. I knew that they were okay because they were at the school, they were safe, but, you know, I'm sure that they were feeling really scared at times with us being stuck on the bridge all night. Uh, so as soon as I saw my sister, I I just sort of, I started to cry and I just said to her, we've lost everything. The reality of it hit a little bit in that moment. And then I went looking for my mom. I found my mom. She was in the school canteen feeding everyone, which is a very mum thing to do to just, that's how my mum shows her love. Food is her love language. And it's also how she copes with things. She gets in the kitchen and cooks for everyone. And so I wasn't surprised to find her in the canteen, jumped into action and feeding the community. But she came out of the canteen and, gave me a hug and and I fell to pieces a little bit in her arms just that safety of mum is what I needed in that moment and it felt really good to to let it out a little bit but then I realized that the event wasn't over the trauma wasn't behind us we were stuck on a in a school with limited supplies and we didn't know how long we'd be there so we were completely cut off by water in every single direction and still waiting for people to be brought into the school from surrounding farms by boat. I could see the amazing community members that we have who have boats, the, the people who own the local marine mechanic in particular, they were just, they had jumped into action overnight and spent their whole night rescuing people and they kept on going throughout that day, coordinating rescue in surrounding farm areas around Woodburn. We're a rural area. There's a lot of farmland and a lot of houses that aren't in town that are supported by our little town. And one by one, they brought them into safety throughout that day. So 
I looked around and I saw people in action wherever I looked and I thought, now is not the time to break down. That's got to come later. We're still in this and I have skills that I can share. After having a cuppa and something, trying to eat something, although it didn't go down very well, I looked for medical supplies. I'm a midwife. I'm trained in resuscitation and in first aid. And I thought that is where my skills are best put to use. So I I went looking and I found a small first aid station set up in the quad. I went over and introduced myself and we had a couple of paramedics and a couple of nurses and myself. We all sprang into action. We took stock of what we had. We liaised with everyone who was there, evacuated and figured out who needed medical attention and got them the medical attention that they needed for the most part in the form of first aid. My first thought when I walked over to the first aid station was we have no resuscitation equipment. I realized in that moment that I had the skills to help people but didn't have the resources. So initially I asked if there was any way that we could get back over to Bank Street to my house because I had chests full of fluids and cannulas and lines and I had an oxygen cylinder and bags and masks for children and adults. I had a full emergency response kit in my house that I did not evacuate with and I immediately regretted my decision to leave my medical supplies at home. There was no way that we could safely get back to Bank Street to pick up those supplies. So I said to the SES, surely you guys have oxygen and a defibrillator, right? And they said, oh yeah, it's it's in the shed. The shed at this point was waist deep in water. So I said, well, you need to go and get it. We sent an SES volunteer into the shed to get the oxygen and the defibrillators out of the shed. And this is at least 12 hours in to the evacuation centre being set up when I arrived there and there was no oxygen and no defibrillator at that point in time for resuscitation efforts. That day at the school really passed by in a bit of a blur. I sprang into action and helped get lists of everyone who was present's medications and stock take of how much they had with them. Some people had left without any of their medications. We had diabetics there with no insulin and no glucometer. We spent the day really doing our best with really limited resources to look after everyone. I was also really hyper aware that we had mums who were there with small babies and who were pregnant and that they would be without formula for their babies if they stayed much longer and potentially without clean sterilizable water. So I started thinking about triaging evacuation at that point in time and we'd been given the order from the local police officer to start thinking about evacuation and who needed to get out first. So that's what we were doing at that point in time and the focus really from every other first responder there was to get out the elderly and the infirm. 
But there was no mention initially of evacuating mums and babies. And I was outraged by this. I looked at what we had, the resources that we had, and at this point it was nearing 30 degrees and most people had evacuated in warm clothes because it was freezing cold and driving rain the night before when we'd all gotten on boats. But at this point in time it was nearly 30 degrees and I was really aware that mother's milk supplies would be impacted by what they were going through if they were breastfeeding. And that formula-fed babies may be running out of formula or that we may not have the clean water that we needed to make up the formula safely. My first port of call was to get a list of mums and babies that we had there, checking whether or not they were breastfeeding or formula-feeding. My next thing was to take stock of how much formula we had and whether the mums had the capability to share formula if needed. Then I was able to commandeer a supply of fresh water and store that in a safe location that I knew of and that a few key people knew of so that we could keep that aside for making up bottles for formula-fed babies. Then I decided I wanted to talk to the police officer about evacuating mums with small babies under one as a priority. And this recommendation was initially rejected by the police officer and I was told that they weren't a priority to evacuate. Now I strongly disagreed with this because I knew in that moment that there were a few babies there who hadn't been adequately hydrated throughout the day because they didn't have bottles. We managed to organise at some point in time a a drop of bottles and formula from Evan's head in a boat, that reassured me somewhat. But I also knew that if we couldn't hydrate these babies or if they refused bottles, that I did not have the means necessary to fluid resuscitate any dehydrated babies. We did not have cannulas. We did not have fluids. And there would have been nothing that I could have done beyond dribbling water in their mouths. So I went to the school principal who had kind of been nominally made the head of the evacuation centre, given that he had the keys and knew where everything in the school was. So I went to him and I said, I'm really concerned about this. This is the situation. And he went and spoke to the police officer and the people coordinating the rescue and we got the mums and babies prioritised for rescue. And finally, after a full day in the Woodburn School, we started getting mums and babies out. There were a few that were too scared, though, to get back on a boat with their small children and go through floodwater who chose to stay at the school. I think it might have been about eight or ten hours after we got to the school. Once I felt that my job had been done there and I knew what we were going to in Evan's head, I knew that there was a better evacuation centre being set up in Evan's head with better accommodations and I knew that we would be able to access supplies better from Evan's head, access medical care better. I knew that that was where we all needed to be 
So I started trying to convince the elderly who did not want to leave town to get in the boats and evacuate to Evans Head. After a few hours of going around and talking to people and getting them on the list to evacuate, Jake came up to me and he said, babe, you haven't eaten all day. And I went, oh, yeah, I haven't. So he handed me a cup of noodles. I ate my cup of noodles and he said to me, we need to go. At this point, I felt that there was nothing else that I could do in Woodburn to help people. And I was exhausted. I think at this point, we'd been nearly 48 hours without sleep. And so I agreed. He had gotten a delivery of fuel for his boat and I agreed to hop in his boat and we went to Evans Head. We finally evacuated to Evans Head. Across the day, I'd been communicating with my friend Rochelle in Evans Head and I knew that that's where we would go when we got there. I'd organised for her to come and pick us up from the school, which was the drop-off point in Evans Head. And I also organised accommodation for my mum and my sister with another friend's parents, Alison and Mark, who we will forever be grateful for. And my brother's girlfriend had been in touch with her mum, who lives in New Zealand, and her mum had booked them holiday accommodation for a month. So we all had somewhere to go in Evans Head, so we made the call to leave the school in Woodburn and make our way there. We hopped back in our boat with our dog and we drove, ducking our heads under power lines, seven kilometres to Evans Head on the main road that we drive in our cars every single day. We had to go past my parents' house and my mum and my sister were in the boat in front of us and I watched my mum break down as we went past her home and saw the water at the top of the handrail on the veranda upstairs. This house that had never gotten water in it in 20 years had water a metre deep upstairs. My childhood home. And that was a really difficult moment. I didn't break down at that point. I was documenting our entire escape on social media. And I filmed a little bit as we came through Woodburn. And I just don't think that I can explain what it feels like to see to look across your town where your home and your shops and your friends' homes should be and see nothing but water. It's really a surreal experience that I don't think I'll ever forget. We made our way into Evans Head. We were taken in by our friends. When I got there and hit dry ground, I burst into tears. I hugged the local paramedic, who's a friend of mine, who was there waiting at the evacuation point, triaging people's medical needs, and I cried. Jake hopped straight back in the boat and went out to Woodburn again to do another run of evacuees in the boat. But I went into town with my mum and my sister, got picked up by my friend Rochelle and brought back to her house. And I can't tell you the feeling of safety that I felt when I got there. 
I got to her house and she'd been to the shops and she'd bought us toiletries and uh, she'd laid out some clothes on the bed for me and sent me for a shower and made me a cup of tea and made me feel safe and warm and loved. And I don't think I've ever felt relief like that before and I don't know if I'll ever feel that sense of relief again that I felt in that moment feeling just so held and so loved and so safe but over the next few days Evan's head was completely cut off from surrounding areas we had limited internet limited phone service the shops kept on shutting because they didn't have power to run their tills so we had limited supplies as well There was limited fuel and all fuel was being directed to rescue efforts only. The school in Evans Head had been turned into an evacuation centre. Volunteers from town came out in droves to help at the evacuation centre to drive us evacuees around town to clothe us and feed us and house us. And it's one of the most beautiful shows of community spirit that I think I've ever seen in my life. I knew that we were really lucky to live in the area that we live in. I knew that Evans Head and Woodburn are really beautiful communities. I've grown up there and it took moving to the Gold Coast for a year and a half to really appreciate what we had. And I've come back to this community and I love it with every part of my being. I love it even more after what we've just been through and seeing the community hold us the way that they have. The next day, after a good night's sleep and a belly full of food, I woke up at Rochelle and Luke's and got ready for the day, went down to the volunteer centre and put my name down for midwifery hair because I felt like I needed to do something It felt really hard being just stuck and unable to see our house or see what damage the flood had caused. The water was still up for us in Woodburn and it remained up for eight days. So in that time, I wanted to be busy. The next day around midday, I got a phone call because there was a woman who was potentially in labour. So I made my way to the medical centre where I caught up with our local GP. We had one GP in town to serve all of the people of Evans Head, Woodburn and Broadwater who had all been evacuated to Evans Head. She was the only one that lived in town and the only one able to access the medical centre at the time of the flood. She hasn't delivered a baby in 20 years, she told me, so she was really glad to see my face. But it became really apparent to me really quickly that, again, I had the skills and the knowledge that I needed to help people, but a severe lack of resources. There was no midwifery equipment there. I would have had to call an ambulance to get access to basic emergency drugs and fluids, all of which I had at home. The whole point of me stepping in and helping was supposed to be to free up our two ambulances for people who needed them you know normal birth is not an emergency and it's something that I was well equipped to deal with and it just felt so stupid to me that I would have to call an ambulance to get basic supplies 
So I coordinated with the lady who was in charge of the medical services at the evacuation centre and we organised for a drop of supplies to be helicoptered in by the ADF from Lismore Base Hospital the next morning. And we put a plan in place for the pregnant women in town for timely transfer to hospital if needed and safe provision of home birth services in town while we were cut off. This all took a couple of days to kind of come to fruition with the ADF taking a couple of days to drop us the supplies that we needed. And that was a really stressful few days when I knew that we had a woman in the community who had some risk factors who would probably, if she went into labour, need to be helicoptered to the hospital. There was potential for cord prolapse in her birth, which would have meant that one of us would have had to basically hold the baby's head off the cervix with our fingers until they reached theatre, which could be an hour or more depending on evacuation because I couldn't get the basic supplies that I needed to stop her labour or do much else really without calling an ambulance. So we made a little provisional plan little bit of thinking outside the box was needed but thankfully in my role as a private midwife I'm used to operating with minimal staffing around me and minimal resources so we made the plan to use an asthma inhaler to stop the labour or slow the labour and to call the ambulance for a catheter to blow up with fluid and keep the baby's head off the cervix if need be. So that was going to be our emergency procedure until we could evacuate the woman out by helicopter. And thank God we did not need to do that at any point. So myself and the nurses on hand in the evacuation hub and the local GP started running through different birth emergency scenarios and looking around at the resources that we had And deciding what we would do in different scenarios to respond to the emergency until we could get the help that we really needed or the supplies that we really needed. Now, our community did an absolutely amazing job at getting things set up without any training or any real outside help or resources in the evacuation centre and really coordinating a community response that relied on everyone's individual strengths and expertise but I hope we never have to do this to this scale with this little amount of knowledge ever again I'd really like to see some sort of funding some sort of training happening in our community so that the local people are better prepared for disaster management and disaster response, better prepared for civilian rescues, and better prepared for provision of medical midwifery care in our community if we ever get isolated by flood water again. I don't know how we're going to make that happen, but I feel really strongly that it needs to. And I'm going to be working on talking to the appropriate local agencies to try and make this happen. We were in Evans Head for four days before the road opened up between Ballina and Evans Head. 
And as soon as that road opened up, Jake's family, who all live in Lennox Head, were desperate to come and get us out. So Jake's dad and his brother drove down on the Thursday and picked us up. At that point in time, I wasn't really ready to leave Evans Head. I didn't feel ready. I felt still very much in the thick of things and I felt really strongly connected to the community and I wanted to stay and be a part of that local response. But I also knew that it was really important for Jake to see his family because they had been so scared and so worried for us. So I handed over reluctantly my responsibilities in the community as a midwife. At that point in time, another midwife who lived on the other side of town was able to finally get across the bridge and get to Evans Head and she could take over from what I was doing. Jake and I made our way to Lennox Head and that's where we've been since. We are staying in his childhood home and we waited four more days until we could get back to our house and see what damage had been done. Each one of those days we'd wake up, we would check the river reports that were coming from locals on social media. Nearly every day we would drive down with the boat hooked up and see if there was anywhere safe that we could put the boat in to try and get to our house and see if our house was okay. On the last day we finally got through by road on the eighth day. Then we had to walk across the bridge and down our street because there was still water to the top of our gumboots in our street and it was probably about knee to waist deep on either side of the bridge at the end of the bridge. So we had to walk into our home to see what we had left and what we'd lost. Just as we got to our house, we realised that there was a cow on our front veranda who had broken our front veranda railing. So we couldn't get in through our front door because the cow was blocking the way and we didn't want to scare her or make her angry. So we went around the back of the house and came up the back stairs and in through the back door. What we found was complete and utter carnage. Just everything we owned was everywhere. Our fridge had fallen over Our dining table had moved, all of our furniture had moved, our lounge which we had hastily put up before we jumped in the um, boat when we were leaving had still gotten wet even though we'd put it on top of a tall cabinet and everything was caked in mud and I cannot describe to you the smell that came out of our house, the stink of blood mud and death and rotting meat out of our fridge is just unlike anything I've ever smelt before. Sewerage bubbled out of our toilets. The mess and the filth and the stink. It's just indescribable unless you've been through this and know what I'm talking about. You just couldn't imagine it. So we walked through the house and surveyed the wreckage and realised that we had very little left. We've got no flood insurance because it's way too expensive for us. And I looked around the house and I thought, what can we save? What can we salvage? 
we can't replace everything that we own. We can't. We just don't have the money for that. And then I started to panic because in those days that we were waiting to get back into Woodburn, the cleanup had well and truly started in Lismore. And I'd seen armies of people going into people's houses and just throwing everything onto the street. I started to get really, really worried that that's what would happen at our house. I started to get really anxious and I basically turned down help because I was too scared to say yes in case people threw out our belongings that we needed, that we needed to salvage. I made this really clear to Jake that I was scared of this happening and he agreed to only have invited help at our house he made it very clear the next day when we went back in to start clearing out and cleaning up to everyone that rocked up that everything that got thrown had to go through me first and that was a huge relief for me because I just needed that sense of control in that moment we'd lost everything and I needed to know that anything that could be saved that I'd be respected and listened to and that people would make an effort to to try and help us save our stuff. I'm going to leave off there for now and I'll talk about the cleanup and the general recovery in the next podcast. In the meantime, please follow me on social media. Our Instagram is after the flood pod and I'll be posting some photos of what we came back to what our house looked like before the cleanup on the Instagram page if you'd like to check it out. To connect with Sinead and follow her journey through the rebuilding of her life and community, head to Instagram and search for After the Flood Pod.